Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Idiot Soup, the political podcast. My name is Danielle, and I'm here with our co-host, George, who has returned from his hiatus, i.e. he was busy and we needed to put out an episode. But we're back, and George is back, so we don't have to try to find someone to replace him anymore. Hello. Has anything um, happened since we last heard from you? Anything interesting? Possibly. Okay, well, with that, very But also possibly not. (laughs) Possibly not. Okay, well, with that, we are going to basically introduce our topic for this week. Something very interesting, something that has been heavily debated, scrutinized, talked about, all the interesting words going into this week, and it's been at the forefront of this news cycle. And that is Syria. Problem which has been brewing for several centuries. Periods of time. Periods of time. We're not going to say the specific period of time because we just got into an argument over that. But yeah, it's been going on for a really long time historically, and it's culminated into basically recently current president Donald Trump announced that he was going to be removing all of the U.S. forces from northern Syria. And then like two hours ago, he just decided that he was going to put them back to protect oil. But we'll get into that later. And what that means later, we're just going to talk about everything to begin with now. So all you have to know is Trump said he's taking the forces out of Syria. Turkey is moving in to occupy that space. Syrians, I'm sorry, the Turkeys, Turkish and the Kurds are butting heads over that. The Kurds are accusing the Turks of reviving a longstanding war and conflict going on. So there's a lot of tension between those two groups of people, as there always has been. However, now that the United States is no longer a major player in the area, it's becoming more of a issue down there. So, George? Well, I would just like to say that, as always with U.S. foreign policy, as it has always been, uh, it serves to protect the interest not of the people in America or the people in the country they are intervening in, but instead serves the interest of large multinational corporations that have outsized influence over the U.S. government and dictate U.S. foreign policy, as we see with this uh, whole oil thing. Yeah, no, I think the— As we saw with the Iraq War also uh, and with uh, all these uh, coups that the U.S. has put on. Yeah, the United States going back in deciding really, like, they're very finicky about foreign policy to begin with, President Trump's administration. So him pulling forces out of Syria and then literally four days later putting them right back in under the guise of protecting oil in the area was kind of iffy to me. It just kind of screamed imperialism, you know, not being in a country to protect The U.S. Them. is imperialist. Okay. okay. Shocker. Shocker. I know. Ooh. But, um, but yeah, that's the kind of vibes that it gave me is that we're not going in to protect this minority group that we've screwed over time and time again throughout history. We're going in to protect our economic endeavors. We're going in to get oil, which to me seemed very sketch that that would come so soon right after. It kind of seemed as if they were trying to backtrack the mistakes that they had made because when they did announce that they were pulling out of Syria, it was a very heavily contested topic. There were several key Republicans that came out against it. There were several, mostly every Democrat came out against it, saying that they didn't want President Trump to remove these forces. So I think it's him trying to backtrack what he's doing. And, you know, it's also, once again, has that kind of imperialistic vibe to it. 
Of course, there are actually reasons to be in Syria for the U.S. to uh, have troops in Syria. Of course, the U.S. Uh, isn't there for this reason. But anyway, uh, one valid reason to be in Syria is to project, protect the uh, Ro- Rojava, uh, which is basically this uh, Kurdish semi-kind of state. In, the in the most autonomous Syria. Kurdish region, pretty yeah. much, in northern Syria. Basically, it's a form of Kurdish self-determination because the Kurds have been systematically excluded from pretty much all political expression across uh, every country where they have a presence. Um, and the government in Rojava is organized along libertarian socialist lines, uh, along communalism which is a, a much better form of government than the uh, bourgeoisie democracy that America has or the uh, capitalist dictatorship under Bashar al-Assad. Uh, but of course, once the U.S. pulled out, uh, Turkey uh, came in and invaded the area uh, because they viewed uh, this form of self-determination to be a threat to their national security and the national security of all the states in the area. Because, of course, as we know, with the partition of the Middle East along whatever lines people decided to draw, um, only factoring in major ethnic groups and not all ethnic groups, we ended up with states that are comprised of a a majority or near majority of a certain ethnicity, but have a large minority. And we tend to see cases where the majority always oppresses the minority, and it leads to a lot of instability. And Turkey saw what is happening in northern Syria and viewed that they saw that if the Kurds have a form of self-determination here, if they can break away from Syria, then why can't other groups within Turkey who aren't Turkish do the same there? Yeah. No, and I think that echoes the basic, um, the a principle that has been very continuous throughout the entire history of the Kurdish ethnic group and where they stand politically and whether or not they're supported by large uh, countries such as the United States. Because I think the entire Kurdish identity has come secondhand to this kind of geopolitical power dynamic that's hanging in the balance, that area over there. Um, I think, honestly, the Kurdish ethnic group has been used rather times more as a tool than it is as an actual ally. We call them an ally the same way we call Turkey an ally. However, we treat the two entities completely different. And People say, you can, you can argue that that's due in part to the fact that Turkey is an established entity. It is its own nation. There would be different benefits that they would get as an ally, seeing as there are different benefits that they can give to the countries because, once again, they're an established nation. But I think that, for the large part, over the past you know, couple, couple decades, it has been quite clear that the United States has really been using the Kurds to their advantage in certain situations. So we saw, even... In this presidency, in 2017, when President Trump armed Syrian Kurds to take back the um, 
you know, I don't know how to pronounce Raqqa, the base where ISIL is located. They want to take back that city, so they armed the Kurds because they're the people that were there. They were the most um, accessible, and honestly, they've proved to be the most disposable because as soon as the United States gets what it wants out of every situation, they kind of dip. They've done this to the Kurds multiple times after the first Gulf War, after World War II. You know, we've never really been a very strong ally for them to call back upon, and I think it's because they are not a actual, like, in terms of states, they're not recognized as an actual state. And the funny thing is, like, that's what they've been fighting for for so long. That's pretty much what the Kurds want, is that, you know, self-autonomy, that self-definition. And we have been really lacking on the national, international stage and in giving it to them. And then, but then that begs the question is, does the United States' burden to maintain a geopolitical sort of balance of power through curbing Syria and Turkey and Iran and Iraq supersede the obligation that we have to our allies, such as the Kurdish minorities in these areas? Well, I think this whole question of like, you know, which side should we support, which, you know, people or ethnicity do we support legitimizes these divisions that were intentionally created in these societies, right? The, like, I believe that the one thing that should take precedent over all of these other, you know, identifiers or whatever should be whether you are working class or not, right? And by, by asking the question, like, you know, which, which side should they support? It legitimizes that these other things should take precedent over that, right? Okay, but so the, like, the fact of like, the matter do you, is... Like, do you, like, so I think an intervention to support that, like intervening to support the Rojava in northern Syria would be absolutely justified, but the U.S. would never do that, right? The only, the only feasible justific- or, um, intervention that the U.S. would do would only further the divisions that are already, that already exist in the area and it would further the oppression that all these people face yeah well i agree that uh protection of rojava is very necessary is a necessity not on the same not on the same line of reasoning and that it's because it's a working class issue i think that this is an international issue i think it's spans far beyond any political ideology whether or not you are gung-ho about the working class or so on and so forth. I think it is a very, I guess, it's a much broader issue than any class divisions. It's, you know, ethnicities are huge. These are gigantic groups. There's The Kurds are the largest ethnic minority in that entire region. But I think that the Rojava are specifically important is because they've been acting as the first haven for all these multi-ethnicity groups that are kind of outcasted outcast from these um larger ethnically dominated states Kurds being obviously the most obvious of these ethnic minorities and i think that that specific institution and establishment of this essential haven for these demographics is something that's necessary for paving way further down the line and that's why i think turkey is so intent on destroying Rojava. I think that's why that's their number one goal. I think that's why that's one of the first places they went into and expelled, what is it, like 300,000 citizens from their home. They recently executed a, uh, a woman, act, female activist there, a teacher who they, you know, executed her publicly and all 
proud about executing a quote-unquote terrorist. I think they may, they've made that their goal clearly, like you said earlier, is they don't want people to see examples and think, oh, it's okay for me to do this too, because there, are, there is so much ethnic diversity in those regions, just due in part to the fact because that's how the lines were drawn. That's how that was totally um, the fault of the nations that did that. But yeah, that ethnic diversity is so, is so ripe and rampant within that area that I think that essentially it's one of those areas that's become a sort of ticking time bomb. It's filled with dis- different um, ethnicities and the Turkish have recognized that if they allow uh, such a prominent example of self-determination to thrive, such as Rojava has done, then they're going to have to face the repercussions of that later down the line. Which is why I think I, I disagree on the fact that the United States shouldn't necessarily be interested in what's going on here if it's not workers' rights, because I think that self-determination is something that's very important. And, you know, the United States has, has kind of pretended that self-determination is really important to us. We've kind of, you know, put on that facade starting in, you know, after the First World War, and we've acted as if that's something that we really care about. And I think it's kind of time for us to make good on our word and show that self-determination is something that's actually really important to the United States government. It's not, though. I think it should it be. It never has been. So I'm saying. I'm saying it never will be. I'm saying is we pretended that it is, and no, no, that's allowed as, us to as long as, as long as the, as long as, like, the, the capitalist mode of production exists in America, it will never be important because that will always take precedent over humanity. And that's the thing. That's what they've been doing the past, you know, decades with the Kurds is they've always been leaving them second to whatever is best politically or whatever is best um, economically for them is that they can essentially use them as a pawn. They can arm the Kurds in places where they have you know, enemies, they can quell them in places where they have allies. And I think that's not the path that we should be taking. And even though it's not necessarily a explicit workers' rights issue, like you mentioned earlier, I still think it's important. Okay, so now I want to draw back to our domestic issues, because we've talked a lot about Syria and the Kurds and basically everything that we have done to screw over the Kurds. But this issue holds a lot of bearing on our current domestic politics, our current state of sanity in the United States. And recently, so currently in an effort to atone for the transgressions that we have made when we pulled all of our forces out of Syria and left the Kurds to fend for themselves and basically be victim and subject to the Turkish forces that are clearly not holding back in any way, shape, or form, the uh, one of the representatives from Colorado, a Sir Jason Crow, just introduced a bill to the House floor about granting a new type of visas for Kurds that aided in the fight against Syria and ISIS. So that to me is something that's very interesting because like I said, a lot of what's happening now I feel is the United States trying to walk back this, the decision that they've made to take forces out of Syria and kind of atone for what they've done. But I think I see this as a very half-baked idea. I see this as something that's very uh, superficial and is pretty like. I guess it's not neoliberal in uh, actuality, but uh, it, it it wholly captures the essence of neoliberalism. You know, an, an, another middle ground approach to uh, a pressing issue. So. Kind of, kind of makes sense for the Democratic Party. 
Well, it's not just the Democratic Party. It's a bipartisan thing. They've got... It kind of makes sense for the current state of affairs in America. (laughs) Okay. But also, I think another interesting part about this is that the specific visas that they're talking about issuing are only supposed to... They're they're limited at 4,000. 4,000 a year. So within Syria alone, there's around two to two and a half million Kurds. So there's no way to actually... Absolutely shocking that a middle ground approach can get even worse. Wow. (laughs) Who would have thought? Yeah, okay. I appreciate sarcasm. But that's what I'm saying is that we are consistently creating problems. We've done it a lot in the Middle East. We're We're actually really good at making problems in the Middle East. And we're just kind of having these half-baked approaches to solving them, kind of only worried about, and that's what I think is, we're only worried about what's going on domestically. You know, this is a proposal that has most likely been instituted to make the American people feel better for what we're doing. We're not actually seeing what we can do to aid the Kurds in that area. We're not actually seeing what we can do to, you know, hold the Turks back from essentially ravaging Kurdish groups. So I think that that's another problem that we have is that we have a current system that's geared towards just making Americans feel good about what we're doing on the international community. And we like to say that we're not the policemen or whatever, or that's not our job, but we're just kind of doing what we can to make sure that our conscience is cleared when it comes to the end of the day. And I don't think that's how we should approach international politics. I think that, that it's a bigger issue. I think just... This just shows the larger trend of U.S. foreign policy where it only serves to benefit itself and not anyone else. And, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty much a very good indicator of what's been going on in Syria. I think it's very applicable to actions, several actions of this current president from in 2017 arming Kurds to in 2019, basically subjugating them to complete domination by the Turkish forces so that being said we will be talking about u.s foreign policy in a later episode but that includes this current episode of idiot suit so thank you for listening and goodbye 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 thank you for listening to idiot soup podcast you can find us online at idiotsouppodcast.com, on Instagram at idiotsouppodcast, on Twitter at idiotsouppod, and also on Facebook, idiotsouppodcast, a political podcast. You can listen to future podcast episodes on YouTube, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more platforms. You can find all of those platforms out on our website, and feel free to contact us. So, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>